I'm Tom Askell, and you're listening to Reclamation Worship. My name is Jason Allen, host of Reclamation Worship, the podcast devoted to reclaiming a biblical view of worship for the church. Thank you so much for joining me for another episode of Reclamation Worship. On this episode, you're going to be hearing from Tom Askell. Tom serves as senior pastor of Grace Baptist Church in Cape Coral, Florida. He's also the president of Founders Ministries. Founders Ministries is committed to encouraging the recovery of the gospel and the biblical reformation of local churches. So we're going to hear from Tom about what that means inside the life of a local church to recover the gospel and to biblically reform a local church. Uh, But before we head over to that interview, I just want to tell you about a little giveaway from Reclamation Worship. So uh, when I say little, uh, I mean literally little. We're giving away stickers. So I don't want to oversell this. I'm not giving away a car or any kind of uh, house in Tahiti or anything like that. Um, Maybe one day. But for now, we're giving away stickers. All right, how do you win a sticker? If you're on Instagram, all the details will be there. So find us on Instagram at Reclamation Worship and follow all the details. But just in case you don't do Instagram, let me tell you how you can win a sticker. Go to iTunes, subscribe to this podcast, and then leave a rating and review. Take a picture of that. You can send the picture to me uh, through a contact form on reclamationworship.com, or you can direct message me on Instagram. It's that simple. Go to iTunes, subscribe, leave a rating and review, and uh, that's it. Send me a message and uh, your address, and I will get you a sticker in the mail. So why am I doing this? Uh, Simply because it's an easy way to help others find out about this podcast. And so uh, if you will leave a rating and a review on iTunes, then others will find out about Reclamation Worship. You can also share it with your friends. That's another easy way to get the word out. Okay, well, let's head on over to the interview. Tom, thank you so much for joining me on Reclamation Worship. I'm glad to be here. Thanks for the invitation. Absolutely. Would, would you mind telling us about yourself and what it is that you do? Yeah, well, I'm the pastor of Grace Baptist Church in Cape Coral, Florida. Cape Coral is on the southwest coast of Florida, north of Naples and south of Tampa. I've been here for nearly 33 years, so that's my primary calling. I've been married to Donna, my wife, for 38, almost 39 years. We have six children and nine grandchildren and one on the way. I'm also the president of Founders Ministries, which is a ministry I've been involved with since its inception in 1982. Um, Founders exist for the recovery of the gospel and for biblical reformation in local churches. So that's something that is an extension of my pastoral ministry here at Grace. Excellent. How how did the Lord save you? Well, I was raised by a godly mother. I'm the youngest of six kids, and uh, we had what people today would probably call a, a dysfunctional family. But my mother was uh, very godly and just uh, trained me and all my siblings in the ways of Christ. So I grew up going to a Baptist church when I was a young man, uh, a boy. I don't know exactly how old, I think eight or nine years old. Uh, I was convicted of sin. I knew that I needed the Savior. And the best as I understood, I I bowed to trust him as Lord. It was a, a bumpy ride for the next many years, and I wasn't. Um, 
I didn't understand things the way that I should have and didn't understand the Bible as much as I should. Um, but nevertheless, the Lord kept me and brought a couple of people into my life as I was in my teenage years. And they uh, were instrumental in helping me to think clearly, more clearly about the Bible. When I was 16, God called me to the gospel ministry to be a pastor, which was a frightening prospect to me. Hmm. But that was confirmed over the next five years. And ultimately, at age 21, while I was a student at Texas A&M, became the pastor of a little church in College Station. And God used that congregation to uh, further confirm and develop my sense of pastoral calling. So you've been at Grace for 30 years. That That is incredible. Um, that's rare in this day and age. Uh, how have you seen the Lord shape that congregation? How, how long had the church been there when you got there? Well, the church was only about three years old when I came. They had started off of a split from the First Baptist Church in town, which sadly is how most Baptist churches get going. Mm. But uh, this church had a, a very bad beginning. It was, um, you know, it didn't have very good leadership. And so they had, they had actually split three times before I got here, and they fired the pastor that had started the church while he was on vacation. Mm. Um, They'd run through a list of candidates. Nobody would consider the church. It had dwindled way down to just a handful of people. And it was a strange providence. I was in Texas. I'd resigned the position of a church in Dallas where I was an assistant pastor for five years. And um, the way I tell the story shorthand is that this was a church nobody wanted, and I was a pastor nobody wanted. So Mm. it seemed to be a good fit. (laughs) Wow. So I would imagine being there that long, you've seen the the Lord work in a number of ways. Anything uh, come to mind, anything in particular that strikes you? Yeah, well, the the people here had been poorly led, and I I felt sorry for for most of them. Some of them were complicit and responsible, and um, my attitude toward them wasn't complete sorrow, though there was some pity, but they were culpable as well. So the, the thing that was most important to me is establishing the authority of God's word and the supremacy of God mm. uh, before the congregation. So I spent two or three years preaching through just Bible doctrines as simply as I knew how, mm-hmm. starting with God and going to man, Christ, Holy Spirit, salvation, the authority and sufficiency of Scripture. Just spent a lot of time just working through those Uh, more like Bible studies on Sunday nights and Wednesday nights, and then preaching expositionally about what a real Christian is. Started with the Sermon on the Mount, went to 1 John, and then I think preached through one of the Pauline epistles and then one of the Gospels from the Old Testament to get people accustomed to just hearing God's Word and learning how to read God's Word. So I believe that the consecutive verse-by-verse exposition of Scripture can help people learn how to read and understand the Bible themselves, as well as reading the Bible interpretively. So that's one of the first things I did immediately. The first thing in worship service is to incorporate scripture reading, public scripture reading. And that's something I encourage pastors to do um, anywhere they are, is learn how to read the Bible well, mm. aloud. And, and in doing so, you train people how to understand the Bible and how to read it themselves. So trying to establish the authority of Scripture, the supremacy of God, the grace of God in Jesus Christ. Those were long-term projects that we're still doing, 
but were uh, of utmost importance to get established early. And it took, I would say, five to seven years for that to happen. A lot of changes in those early years. We became confessional, so we adopted confessions of faith. We became covenantal, so we adopted a church covenant, uh, rewrote our bylaws and constitutions so that it became uh, easier for us to function biblically as we understand scriptures to set forth uh, Baptist polity and um, developed leadership trying to help the congregation understand the goodness of God and providing for a plurality of spiritual overseers or elders or pastors in the church. So all that took time, but God was kind and you know the people were very patient with me. We lost a lot of folks as you might expect, mm-hmm. um, but God saved people and the church mm-hmm. was gradually uh, oriented and established on good foundation and has moved forward since. That's fantastic. So when I hear you talk about the history of, of grace and, and you being there, I hear the centrality of God's word. Um, that's the, the, the constant refrain. And, and so uh, mm-hmm. there seems to be in, in this day and age, um, a, a lot of competition for God's word on Sunday morning. And um, it seems like a lot of churches are replacing uh, the, the centrality of scriptures in the service with many other things. And so uh, is that, has that been your observation too, that you see a lot of churches uh, trying to, um, and maybe they're giving up on the sufficiency of scripture and they're, they're looking for other means of um, keeping people's attention rather than using God's word. Has that been your experience uh, observing that around churches? Yeah, that's certainly been my observation as well. I actually wrote an article years ago about a, kind of a, um, a, a, not funny, but a, a interesting experience that I had over a Christmas holiday. My family and I went to North Carolina because living in South Florida, my kids had never seen snow. <laughs> so our Christmas present that year was to go find snow, and we wound up outside of Asheville. And I went to First Baptist Church Asheville to uh, hopefully see uh, a man that I'd respected but disagreed with significantly in the whole inerrancy of Scripture debate, Cecil Mm -hmm. Sherman. Mm -hmm. He had pastored that church for years and had retired and uh, was pastor emeritus. So I'd hoped to to see him. He wasn't there. But the the man who preached that day, you know, it was a horrible message. I mean, well-crafted, but it was uh, basically – uh, a message that said, you know, there are going to be all kind of people in heaven, including Muslims and Buddhists and mm-hmm. even atheists, but they, they will be there because God's so good and kind and uh, he accepts everybody who does their best. Mm-hmm. So the, the, the sermon was ridiculous and it was horrible. It, it was blasphemous, mm-hmm. but they read from the Old Testament. They read from the New Testament. They, they read from the Gospels and the Epistles. They read a psalm. The, the prayers were uh, very much oriented along Scripture, and it was a church that didn't believe the Bible, but they used the Bible. Mm. From there, we went to another church in another state uh, that we're more familiar with, and it's a church that has a great reputation for being strong on the inerrancy of Scripture. And uh, This was their Christmas service, or the right before Christmas service. And uh, there were, like I think, eight songs. There was one and one-half verses read in the whole service mm. the sermon was about 20 minutes and was basically topical and uh, the songs had nothing to do with scripture and the prayer there's like 30 seconds of prayer in the whole service 
And I thought, this is, this is crazy. Here's a church that believes the Bible, but they don't use it. Mm. And I just came from a church that doesn't believe the Bible, and yet their, their service is filled with it. Wow. So, I, yeah, it's true, even among conservatives. I think it's gotten better, but uh, it used to be in many of our seminary chapel services, the Bible was not read. And I heard a seminary president uh, stand up maybe three or four years ago and say, you know, we've, we've come to realize that we have not been reading the Bible in our chapel services. And this is an oversight. It's a mistake. And we're going to start doing it. I, I praise God for that because the word of God is the most important thing we have mm-hmm. that uh, we can handle and disseminate. And we, if we have confidence in it, then we ought to want people to hear it. And so reading scripture, making it the uh, priority in governing our worship, in helping us to know how to know God and guide our lives and to be reconciled to God, that, that's preeminent. Apart from that, we're lost. So regaining a confidence in scripture and a humble submission to it. And then I think for pastors, recognizing as much as we might like it to be otherwise, most of the people that we will stand and preach before every Lord's Day will not have spent the week soaking in God's Word. Mm-hmm. In fact, most of them who come, probably even in our best churches, will hear more of God's Word or have an opportunity to hear more of God's Word on Sunday than they will any other day of the week. So if we're not reading the Scripture, if we're taking up time doing other things, then we're missing a golden opportunity for folks to hear from God. Mm-hmm. So I just think that that, that crisis of, uh, <clears throat> of lack of confidence in the Word of God is something that, that we have been living with for decades now. I'd like to hear a little bit more about Founders. So could you tell us uh, how it came to be and, um, and what, what Founders does? I know you mentioned um, the recovery of the gospel and reformation of churches, but tell us a little bit more about Founders. Yeah, well, in 1982, the Southern Baptist Convention was three years into what came to be called the Battle for the Bible or the Inerrancy Movement or the Conservative Resurgence. And I was a student at Southwestern Seminary. There were a couple other students there and some pastors that we knew, one professor, that were concerned about these issues. We were all inerrantists, but we realized that if we settle this question about whether or not the Bible is inerrant, we're going to ultimately have to say, okay, what does this inerrant Bible say? What does it teach? Mm-hmm. And we'd all become convinced that the Bible teaches the way of salvation is completely by God's grace, that we have an all-grace gospel. That is, that God himself saves sinners, and he does it uh, strictly by his goodness and power. So we don't contribute to our salvation. These things historically have been called, called Calvinism or the doctrines of grace or reformed theology. But these were just the way we understood this as we read back through our church, our uh, denomination's history and Baptist history, is that this is what Baptists historically believed. We mm. believed these doctrines. So because of that, we met together and prayed, what do we do about this? We decided to have a conference on the faith of the founders of the Southern Baptist Convention. And thus we became founders ministries. That first conference had about 100 people there. We were surprised there were that many that wanted to meet together to talk about these doctrines and to, to try to think about life and ministry from these uh, doctrinal perspectives. And began to have conferences. We grew into writing a quarterly journal. Uh, we publish books now. Uh, we 
have a website, founders.org, that is very active, we have a very active publication of articles uh, every day, every week. And uh, we have a podcast as well, The Sword and the Trial, that Jared Longshore and I host. And so these ministries have been designed to encourage pastors and church leaders, faithful Christians, to think rightly about the gospel and then how churches are to be organized according to the gospel and to function according to gospel uh, uh, provisions. And so we believe the Bible teaches a certain polity or way that a church should be uh, organized and operate in the world. So that's what Founders is about. It was a ministry. It is a ministry that is a discipleship ministry, a teaching ministry. We provide resources uh, to churches and individuals, not just around the United States, but throughout the world. We have a Founders study course that teaches uh, courses, classes that you can take and get master's level credit if you want to. Many people most take them without any desire to get credit, but if you want to get credit from uh, seminaries like the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary in Louisville or Southeastern Seminary in uh, North Carolina, other seminaries as well have reached out to us and said, we want to accredit your courses. You can get up to 21 hours of um, MDiv level course credits by taking courses through the Founders Study Center. Wow. Fantastic. Well, thank you for sharing that. And I will link to that ministry in the show notes uh, of this episode so that folks can get more information on that. So you mentioned recovery of the gospel. I don't ever want to assume that anyone, everyone listening to this understands uh, what the gospel is. So would you mind uh, telling us what the gospel is? Yeah, we teach it here uh, very simply because I say regularly to our people, look, we can't assume the gospel. That's how it gets lost is we just assume we know it. We assume everybody understands it. And we want our people to become increasingly fluent in the gospel. That is to learn more and more of it so that at any point in any way, you can recognize roads that will take you to the gospel and and from the gospel to help people understand their standing before God. So the way we teach it is the gospel is all about Jesus Christ. It is the message of who he is, what he's done and why that matters. Mm. So if you ask those three questions, who is Jesus? What has he done? And why does that matter? and get the answers from the Bible, then you will be uh, talking about the gospel. Who is Jesus? He's the eternal son of God who became a real man. He he became one of us. And what, what did he do? What has he done? Well, he's lived a life of perfect obedience to God's commandments, never once sinned, earned righteousness by doing that, and then died in the place of sinners on the cross. So he bore sin, experienced God's wrath against sin, and then was raised from the dead on the third day, has ascended into heaven, and one day he will come from heaven to uh, bring this world and our history to an end and bring in new heavens and new earth. Well, why does that matter? It's because it matters because you and I are sinners, and we need a Savior, mm-hmm. and our sins separate us from God. And apart from the work of Jesus, the life of Jesus, we cannot be reconciled to God. But Jesus has done everything to reconcile us to God so that as we turn from sin and trust him, we will be reconciled to him and be brought into his family. So. It's all about Jesus, who he is, what he's done, and why that matters. And, you know, I just summarized that in about a minute and a half. Right. Uh, you, can, you can do that in 30 seconds, or you can do that in 30 years. You can spend the rest of your life diving into the intricacies of what God has revealed about the, the gospel of Jesus. But we want people to become fluent in it so that we understand it well enough to speak it quickly, 
mm. and yet to dive into it deeply. Amen. Amen. Well, so some may be hearing this and, uh, and think, well, the gospel's just fine. The gospel's not at risk. Why in the world would this ministry be focused on a recovery of the gospel? So could you speak to that? Yeah, well, I would say the gospel's always at risk because we have a devil that hates us mm. and he wants to destroy the work of Christ. He wants mm. to hinder the church of Jesus Christ. And so Galatians 1 is just one of the examples, but it's a clear example of the danger of the gospel being forsaken. And that's why Paul rebukes those churches who have turned from the true gospel so quickly to begin to follow another gospel, which he says really isn't a gospel. You know, it's a mm-hmm. false gospel. And he says, even if, if uh, I, if an apostle or an angel from heaven should come and preach to you another gospel other than the one you received, let him be anathema, let him be condemned to hell. Mm-hmm. So he's warning those churches that they're in danger of forsaking the true gospel. They weren't conscious of it. That's why he's writing to, to show them what they're doing. He's holding a mirror up before them saying, stop and look at what you're doing. Mm. And I think that happens to us. I mean, all of us are prone to that. If it happened in churches where that were planted by the apostles and we shouldn't be so naive or arrogant as to think it couldn't happen to us. Mm. And I think the way it typically happens to us is not by outright liberalism, though liberalism does come in and you can look at mainline denominations today and they've lost the gospel, but it tends to happen to conservatives by we assume the gospel. And uh, I did a little experiment years ago. It, it happened in my own preaching first. I was just going through a dry time. This is maybe 25 years ago. And I couldn't figure out why. And I was reading uh, uh, sermons by George Whitfield, that wonderful evangelist used in The Great Awakening. And uh, there was a series of sermons he preached on 1 Corinthians 1, 30 and 31, and it just showed the, the fullness of Christ, the centrality of Christ. And God used that to convict me and to, to realize, man, my sermons assume Jesus. They're not mm-hmm. preaching Jesus. Mm-hmm. I went back and looked at some of them, and it was painful, some of my notes. So God convicted me, and I realized, okay, man, I'd been a, a doctrinal preacher. I try to be careful reading the Bible. The Bible's you know, supreme in our authority. But I had assumed Jesus. So it, it made me realize the whole Bible is about Jesus. And I'm not, I'm not preaching the Bible rightly. If I'm not preaching Jesus, I'm preaching the gospel. Mm-hmm. Then I went and listened to chapel sermons in some of our best seminaries for like three months. I just went back to their archives and listened to them. And it was appalling to me to see how many sermons in chapel were preached where the gospel was absent. Mm. And again, it's not because these guys didn't believe the gospel. They were just like me. You know, they'd assumed the gospel. Mm. And that began to clarify for me what we must do uh, today. And, and I think there's always dangers of assaults coming against the gospel. We're having a, a conference, Founders is, in, in Louisville, May 14, 15, and 16 of this year, where we're addressing the gospel and justice mm. because there are a lot of threats coming against the gospel in the name of being just and doing justice. Well, yeah, we must be just, but we must never let any of our attempts to be just undermine the gospel of God's grace that comes to us through faith in Jesus Christ, plus nothing. Amen. Well, thank you for sharing that. Now, you also mentioned that Founders works to encourage biblical reformation of local churches. So what is biblical reformation and how does a listener know if their church needs it? Yeah, well, biblical reformation is the the Bible being regarded as the norm, as that by which we measure 
our lives and our practices. So for a church, it would be to ask the question, does the Bible say what a church is to be and how a church should operate, what a church is to do, what a church is not to do? And as you look to the scriptures with those questions in mind, let the answer of scriptures then shape what you do. Here's one good way for uh, a person to determine whether or not his church needs to be more rigorously reformed according to the Bible or reordered according to the Bible. The Bible teaches, we believe as Baptists, in a regenerate church membership. That is, that the only people who should be members of our churches are those who have been born again. Well, you and I can't look into somebody's heart and say, oh, yeah, I see you've been born again. But there are marks of new birth that First John, for example, spells out mm-hmm. that if we say that we know him and do not keep his commandments, then uh, we lie and the truth's not in us. Okay, well, a person who's been born again is somebody who should live according to God's commandments, not perfectly, but intentionally. Right. What's happened in so many Baptist churches today is that people join our churches and they never show up anymore. After a while, they drift away, but they stay members. So here's a good little test you could take uh, and apply to your own church. Take the total number of members, which many church members don't even know, but just go ask your leaders, say, how many people are on our church rolls? So if you uh, say you have a church that's 500 people on your church rolls, those are how many members you have. Mm -hmm. And then Look at how many actually show up over a year, you know, just an average. Maybe you'll, if, if that church is typical, it would have about 150 to 200 people who would show up with any sense of regularity, you know, over the course of a year. All right. Well, if you've got 200 people, we'll say, who show up out of 500, that means that you only have 40% of your membership that ever come to worship Christ for with, with any regularity. Mm. Uh, well, if, if that's the case, then you've got an unhealthy situation mm. because you've got more people that give no signs of being born again as members than you do people who have signs of being born again. And folks that have been members of Baptist churches for a long time that have not taken their membership seriously, they know what it's like to show up at a business meeting and to have people come and vote who they may not know or have never seen before. Mm-hmm. When there is something controversial on the docket, well, that's not helpful. That that is ungodly, and it is um, it is an indication of a lack of spiritual health in the church. So that's one area where we start taking membership more seriously. The, the, going hand in hand with that is the practice of church discipline. Jesus teaches it in Matthew eighteen fifteen through eighteen of what we're to do. If People sin in the church, which we all do, but they refuse to repent of sin. What are you to do? Well, you keep going after them. You keep raising the the level of uh, concern Mm -hmm. and the circle of people involved until finally, if they're sinning and refusing to repent, you tell it to the church. And if they won't hear the church call them to repent, then they're to be removed from the church or to be treated like a tax collector or a Gentile. That is an outsider. They're no longer to be kept inside. First Corinthians 5, Paul says sometimes you have to do this in a dramatic way when the sin is public and scandalous. You don't go through the steps. You just remove the public scandalous sinner who refuses to repent. And yet churches very rarely do this anymore. And if your church is not doing this, if you've got members of your church that you know are sleeping with with people who aren't their spouses or who are uh, uh, cheating on their taxes or dealing drugs, or and it's known these are just flagrant sins and they're allowed to be members of the church, then your church is not healthy. It needs to be biblically 
reordered or biblically reformed. And so Founders tries to help church leaders think about these things and understand, okay, we need to, where we've fallen short, we need to repent and start over and ask the Lord to help us to live the way he's called us to live as a church. Great. You say that biblical faith is inherently doctrinal. Why does doctrine matter? Well, doctrine matters because the uh, the scripture is filled with doctrine. Paul tells Timothy to watch his life and his doctrine closely. So, you know, people sometimes say, oh, I don't like theology, you know, or just leave that to the theologians. Well, every Christian, really every person is a theologian. Mm. Uh, That is, everybody believes certain things about God and what God has said. The challenge is to be a good or a careful theologian. Mm. So you can't read the Bible without reading doctrine. Whenever you start telling me what you think about Jesus or God or the church or the uh, or angels or the Bible or sin, you are talking doctrine. Those are doctrinal subjects because God's revealed them in the Bible. So doctrine definitely matters. We are warned in the scripture, Paul warns Timothy, not to uh, give any ground to the doctrine of demons. You know, that's not some kind of exotic idea that should uh, come into our imaginations when we hear that. But those are doctrines, false teachings that demons inspire and try to get people to believe. Everybody's going to believe something. Every Christian is going to believe something about God, about Jesus, about humanity, about sin, about eternity, about heaven, about hell. And we should seek to believe the truth, and the truth is what God has revealed in his word concerning those things. So, yes, doctrine is of the utmost importance, and I I say that doctrinal Christianity, doctrinal Christianity is the only kind of biblical, healthy Christianity, Christianity that recognizes God has spoken, we must receive what he says, believe what he says, order our lives according to what he says. Is there any resource that you recommend to your folks uh, who maybe are a little cold toward uh, doctrine or or, uh, or studying doctrine? Uh, anything that you uh, recommend to them? Yeah, well, I recommend, uh, uh, I actually edited three little booklets for parents to help children. And yet it's very helpful for adults as well, called Truth and Grace Memory Books. And okay. these books are built around catechisms, which I didn't even know Baptists used catechisms until I started studying history. I thought catechism was a Catholic or maybe a Lutheran word, Mm -hmm. but Baptists used catechisms historically to train their new converts and and, uh, children as well. So we have these three truth and grace memory books. The first one's built around the children's catechism. The second one is built around Spurgeon's catechism. And the third one around the Baptist version of the Heidelberg catechism. And they have Bible verses to memorize. They have songs and hymns to memorize, as well as these catechetical questions. I would encourage those books. You can get those from Founders Press on the website. And then two other books. One of the books we published as well is Know What You Believe by Joe Neeson, Mm -hmm. which is a very simple, helpful uh, way to understand what the Bible says we are to believe. A third book is by A.W. Pink, and it's simply called The Attributes of God. I I think one of our great problems today is we really don't know God and we don't think about God enough or we don't think about him rightly. And this little book on the attributes of God will help you to, and it's a Bible study. It's got lots of scripture in it to just show you what God has revealed to us to be true about himself 
And as we think about those truths, then our lives ought to be reordered accordingly. That's fantastic. And I uh, heard Dr. R.C. Sproul say something very similar. Um, he, uh, there's a famous clip of him, you can find it on YouTube, uh, where someone asks a question about God's character. And uh, he ends up looking at the audience and just saying, what, what's wrong with you people? And uh, he, he says that, uh, that, that that's wrong with what's wrong with the American church is that we don't understand who God is. And um, right. yes, I, I think the more that we can uh, avail ourselves to scriptures and, and uh, to um, doctrinal studies outside of scripture, uh, the more we can understand and, and uh, cherish God's character. Uh, so let me ask you this question about uh, the American evangelical church. What are your, some of your concerns for the state of the average American evangelical church? Well, I, I'm fearful that the world is overtaking the church. You know, we, you read the letters to the churches in revelation two and three, where Jesus speaks directly to seven different churches. Only two of them escape his uh, severe warning and rebukes. And I fear that today uh, we are, many of our churches are being overtaken by the world. And it's, a church's relationship with the world is like a ship's relationship to the water, to, to the ocean. When the ship is in the ocean, it's doing what it's supposed to do. But when the ocean gets into the ship, you've got real problems. Mm-hmm. And I think what we're seeing today is worldliness just come in uh, very subtly but very powerfully. So one of the things I think is happening, I referred to earlier, in the uh, the justice movement or the calls for social justice, where we see this in our world, where every group, everybody's trying to identify as some marginalized minority group that is under oppression and therefore demanding those that are not like them to uh, somehow give them something, you know, to, to pay them, to, to do things for them so that they will not be so oppressed or to make up for their oppression. Well, this very way of thinking has come into many of our churches today mm. so that people are beginning to identify themselves in our churches, Christians, professing Christians, more along the lines of their racial or ethnic makeup yeah. or along their uh, sexual life, male or female, or, and this is even more tragic than anything that I've mentioned, along the lines of their sexual orientation. Mm. And so gay Christianity is a thing Mm. in many of our churches today. And there are advocates, strong advocates, saying, yes, you can be gay and Christian and you can have sexual desires for someone of the same sex as you are and be Christian about it, and you don't have to be concerned that those desires are wrong. That's just the way God made you. Well, there's severe problems with that. Or if I think that you know this church is too white, or this church is too Asian, or this church is too black, and therefore you know I don't have anything in common with these people, or this church is too old, or this church is too young. Well, if, if we really believe what the gospel says, that in Christ, uh, there is neither Jew nor Gentile, male nor female, or slave or free, but we are one in Christ Jesus. We're united in Christ Jesus. That means that as a 62-year-old white man, I have more in common with a, a 15-year-old uh, Asian woman 
who's a Christian and I'm a Christian than I do with another 62 year old white man. Who's not a Christian Mm. and the gospel trumps everything and our primary identities in Jesus Christ. And I, I fear that a lot of this uh, antagonistic movement antagonistic to the gospel is overrunning our churches so that people think, Oh, the most compassionate thing we can do is let Christians identify themselves as the oppressed and the victimized and therefore uh, try to help them in ways other than what the gospel says is applicable for every person. I'm not saying at all that people aren't, hadn't been victimized and mistreated. They have been, Mm -hmm. but it's the gospel that addresses that. And we don't want to fall into worldly patterns or godless ideologies in order to try to address those uh, inequities, those difficulties, the, uh, uh, the real sin that does exist in the world. Mm. Very well said. Thank you for, for sharing that. Um, well, if as we close, what advice would you give uh, to someone, a listener to this podcast who may be looking for a church? So w- what are some things that people should be looking for uh, if they are trying to find a church to um, put down roots in and become a member of? Yeah, I would first and foremost look for a church that is going to preach and teach God's word without embarrassment or compromise. And so this probably would require a conversation with the pastor or other leaders and listening to several sermons, looking at what the church's schedule is, you know, what are their Bible studies like? I would look to see what their confession of faith is. If they don't have a confession of faith, that would make me pretty skeptical If they have one and don't know what it is, that would make me pretty skeptical. If they have one, but it's pretty weak or weak or anemic, uh, then, you know, I would wonder about that too. So the the bottom line is you, you want a church that is going to care for you and challenge you and help you in your discipleship. And the only way that that will happen in a God honoring way is for the word of God to be preeminent because what we need as Christians is the word. Paul tells Timothy that uh, the word of God has been given to us to make us complete and, and equipped for every good work. And without the word, I'm not going to be equipped. And so I want a man of God leading the church of God who is fully committed to and submissive to the word of God, who's unashamed to preach it and teach it, even those rough edges of scripture that, that we sometimes uh, get embarrassed about or, or want to shrink away from, we should take God, take his word for what it says and, and take him at his word without any kind of hesitation or embarrassment. So I would look for that. I've had conversations about that. I would talk to other members of that church. People have been there a while to see what uh, kind of understanding they have and you know, if they, they demonstrate spiritual maturity and growth. If not, you know, I would, uh, I'd be concerned about that and try to figure out, is that an anomaly or is this the norm? But first and foremost, find a church where the word of God is central. Find a church where Jesus Christ is not assumed, but is proclaimed where the gospel is uh, vitally important in what they're doing, how they're teaching and, and the way they're thinking about, this world and, and the, the Christian life in the world. Excellent. Well, Tom, thank you so much for uh, coming on Reclamation Worship. I greatly appreciate your time. And uh, I, again, will send folks to uh, Founders uh, Ministries. I will uh, link in the show notes to um, 
to the resources you've mentioned and uh, really, really appreciate your time. Well, thank you for having me on, Jason. God bless. God bless. Again, thank you so much for taking the time to listen to another episode of Reclamation Worship. I want to thank Tom Askell again for being gracious enough to talk with me. And I also want to remind you to visit reclamationworship.com where you will be able to find all of the information on Founders in the show notes. I will link to founders.org and you will be able to find those resources, the books that he mentioned there at reclamationworship.com. Remember to subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes for your sticker. Send me your information along with that picture of you doing that, and I will get a sticker in the mail to you. You can find us on Twitter at ReclamationHQ. We are on Instagram at ReclamationWorship and on Facebook at ReclamationWorship. Until next time, Soli Deo Gloria.